The following is rated not safe for work. It contains strong language, adult situations, and lots and lots of spoilers. Discretion is advised. In the criminal justice system, cinematic-based offenses are considered especially heinous. The dedicated attorneys who investigate these villainous films are members of an elite squad known as the Reels of Justice. These are their stories. Order, please, order. The Reels of Justice is now in session. Judge Rest in Peace, Ryan Rodriguez presiding. We all rise for the Honorable Judge Rodriguez. Be seated. Welcome to the Reels of Spooky Justice. Today, we are hearing the case of The People vs. Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak is a 2015 Guillermo del Toro gothic horror film about an aspiring author who moves into the remote ancestral home of her new husband and his sister, only to discover that it contains both ghostly apparitions and a chilling history. For those of you unfamiliar with our court proceedings, we are here to determine if this film is guilty of being a bad movie. As always, in this courtroom, films are to be considered innocent until proven awful, and the burden of proof lies upon the prosecution to prove beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt that this film is guilty of being a bad movie. Mr. Dylan J. Schlender, you're appearing on behalf of the prosecution. You may present your opening statement. Thank you, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen of the court today, we have a serious matter before us, the case of Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. This is a chintzy gothic horror, a melodramatic romance, wrapped in the visual trappings that del Toro is typically so well regarded for. Yes, we get his freak show cavalcade of monstrous ghosts, uh, the color play, the cinematography, but that is all we get. You see, this movie is all sizzle and no steak. It is weak tea. It is time we, as a people, stand up to Del Toro and we say in a unified voice, you can do better. Nay, you must do better. That this is the same man that gave us Pan's Labyrinth is shocking. All we get here is cotton candy for the eyes and poison for the soul. The thin, <laughs> the thin plot, the reliance on named actors, and the profound insensitivity of delicate matters will be examined today in this court, resulting in the inescapable conclusion that this movie is bad. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Schlender. Mrs. Silvana Carranza, you are representing the defense. Please present your opening statement. <clears throat> Distinguished members of the jury, I am here to prove today, without shadow of a doubt, that Crimson Peak is indeed not guilty for the crimes of which it is accused. You might hear today from the prosecutor, with their flowery language, that my client is a horror film that fails to scare. However, I believe these charges are not only bogus, but they attempt to condemn the film for not meeting the expectations it never set for itself in the first place. For as the title character Edith Cushing directly and aptly states in the first 10 minutes, this is not a ghost story. It is simply a story with ghosts in it. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Cranza. Prosecution, you may proceed with your first exhibit. With gusto, Your Honor. 
what we have here is a love triangle story, but it, or maybe it's a love rhombus. You know, we've got four corners. <laughs> well, this movie starts, we have a copy and pasted bell from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, she's at once pursued by a handsome American doctor, Charlie Hunnam, and an English Lothario slash would-be aristocrat in uh, Hiddleston. Our cloistered beauty opts for the latter. She moves to England. Ghosts warn her not to go. The ghosts are going to be coming up frequently in this movie because they're important. They serve as this uh, warning for our would-be protagonist here, telling her uh, at the beginning of the movie, avoid Crimson Peak. Not telling her, avoid, you know, swarthy men from England. No, no, no. That would just been too obvious. <laughs> you know? I mean, I could tell you right now that if my mom came back to me as a creepy black ghost that tried to scare me into not doing something, I would say, please be more clear. I don't know what Crimson Peak is. Uh, you know, so... I can't give you more information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You would prefer your mother not to be a uh, magic eight ball. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yes, this is true, Your Honor. I would prefer I would prefer my mom to stay alive, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but here we are, you know? If she said, beware tall British men, I'd be like, good tip, you know? But, <laughs> so, obviously, she ends up going to England, you know? So, what happens is we find out that she's caught in a con. We find out that uh, Hiddleston married her for her money, of which she stands to inherit a significant fortune because her father, aptly played by Jim Beaver, was murdered. And here's the part. Um, I don't believe our lawyer for the defense knows this, but we have a spoiler warning at the beginning of the show. and She gives it. That's me. Oh! She reads the spoiler warning, you jackass. I was thinking that was the joke. Uh, Your Honor, um, I'd like to yield the remainder of my time in the interest of fairness to the prosecutor. (laughs) Sustain. All right. So here we have um, Jim Beaver, a man's man, standing at 5'11". Uh, is physically overpowered by who we find out to be is Jessica Chastain standing at a mighty 5-4 and bashes his head into his thing. So that's just a ridiculous way that Jim Bieber dies. But again, we have to move plot. I don't know why the ghost couldn't have come and said to Jim Bieber, ooh, don't shave at the club, you know? But hey, I mean, what are you going to do? I guess it was important to the mother ghost that her daughter actually has this adventure and then she can look back fondly on the ghostly warnings as some kind of post-diction Nostradamus kind of thing. But that's all this movie is, right? That's very thin. It's a con and we get this uh, incestual twist that's going to come up that I'm going to go into a little more detail on later but really what this boils down to is this movie is lacking the heart and soul and depth that we've come to expect and frankly demand from the likes of del toro and i think it's because he does not commit to the genre to this uh, gothic romance gothic horror largely because his understanding of it is incredibly superficial and i feel confident saying it's superficial because his understanding of other genres especially when it comes to the use of ghosts and the use of period, that is to say, in movies like uh-huh. The Devil's ba- <laughs> The Devil's Oh, Bear. my. <laughs> Easy now. Order at the court. Order at the court, please. That's my job, sir. <laughs> that's that's true. I'll take your gavel back. I'm sorry. All right. I wonder where that was. In his greater works, The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth, 
we see Del Toro masterfully take on very difficult subjects. He's taking on themes of totalitarianism and innocence, and he's doing it to the backdrop of Fran uh, Franco's fascist Spain. And this is something that we haven't really seen in a movie since uh, Victor Ursi's Spirit of the Beehive, which came out in 73, a profoundly influential movie for the like of Del Toro. So we know Del Toro is capable of depth, of real cinema, but this movie is completely devoid of that passion and understanding. It's almost like someone went up to Del Toro and said, hey, would you like to make a gothic movie? He looked up the first p uh, paragraph on Wikipedia for what gothic meant, and he's like, yeah, I can do that. And so what do we have? We get to see this, again, this weird love triangle, uh, uh, Hiddleston being very handsome, uh, we have the ghosts coming out because Del Toro loves ghosts and he does use them to much better effect in movies like The Devil's Backbone, in Pan's Labyrinth, and even in movies that he would produce like Mama, which I think is a much creepier ghost. Again, he didn't direct it to, you know, it's in fairness to the court here, but he did produce it. So he does have this intimate connection with ghosts that is completely lacking in this movie, the ghosts are really there just to point the protagonist in different directions when they were really there to warn her not to even go there in the first place. But now that she's there at Crimson Peak, which is the uh, name of the movie, it's the name of the manor where they live. Uh, now, that's the ancestral home that is referred to uh, in English Hills. So now that she's actually there, the ghosts point her in the direction of these very convenient uh, recordings that basically spell out the whole movie for you in case you were curious. Yes, they're con artists and yes, they have this uh, strange uh, forbidden love. But what Del Toro forgets about really when it comes to what makes a good gothic literature, a good, good, good gothic movie or story, uh, he never captures that feeling of the sublime. He never f makes us feel that the protagonist is going beyond and experiencing sensations that are bigger than herself. What she's really just doing is leaving home for the first time. I mean, that's not sublime. That's perfunctory to being an adult. Uh, Defense, would you care to speak to the perceived shallowness of the uh, plot that the prosecutor is bringing up? Well, I thought the story was very lovely in its simplicity. And once again, I want to refer to what I said at the very beginning and that you are judging the film based on what it wasn't even trying to do not every <clears throat> and i i want to go back also to the the design of the ghosts and the, i think i think what's so wonderful about the art and everything that comes together is we have all the visuals that help move the the feeling of the movie forward and we have to give more credit to the actors as well that's another thing i think is very important i like the design of the ghosts they remind me of the Oathbreakers, the army of the dead from the lord of the rings ah. i like um that was some that is something that appealed to me a great deal you know you know um for those of you who do not know they are the dead warriors who betrayed isildur and were cursed on the white mountain um, <laughs> but uh, they remind yeah. me of Dementors too. Yeah, yeah, I like. <laughs> but um, what else? I love the color palette. 
of the movie um, because I think it, it does a very important job in the yellow representing the safety. So every she always has a yellow dress every time they're in a safe place, like when they go to the post office, the, the color grading, it's yellow. And then when they're in more dangerous places like nighttime, there's this interesting use of green and red, which I think does a very wonderful job of orchestrating our emotions and allowing us without thinking about it directly when she is in danger and is not in danger. Um, This use of color is very derivative. (laughs) We've seen this in other movies, even in this very courtroom talking about the village, which had the same exact dynamic. Yellow was the safe color. Red was the dangerous color. I mean, this is not new ground and it's not it's well-tread ground. And Del Toro doesn't bring any of his panache to it. He doesn't bring anything that makes him interesting to this, apart from that, it just kind of feels like it has his fingerprints on it you know like he was eating a powdered donut and he touched it and we're like oh well there's (laughs) there's del toro's fingerprints on this does it add anything to the experience not particularly uh if i could move on to my next point your honor you may all right one of the things that i think is really important to understand about this movie is how utterly predictable it is once you realize this kind of paint by numbers gothic theme that del toro is going with and it does not take a genius to figure out that there is some kind of relationship going on between the sharp siblings that's uh uh, hiddleston's character and jessica chastain's character uh that's the aforementioned sister that in the uh the summary now maybe some people with not so sharp an eye would say aha they're secretly married and that's the con but hey anyone (laughs) anyone (laughs) With a passing understanding of Gothic literature knows that incest is, tends to be a very big theme. We have uh, The Castle of Otoronto by Horace Walpole. We have The Monk by Matthew Gregory Lewis. And we have a contemporary example in Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews. And let's not forget one of the most important ones that we will not find any disagreement on, A Fall of the House of Usher by Poe. <laughs> Daniel Daniel Hoffman's very famous book on Edgar Allan Poe. This is actually called, and I quote, this is not a joke, Poe, 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 <laughs> describes it in, in quite detail, the, uh, the importance of the incestuous relationship in there. So Del Toro says, aha, incest, I can work that into the plot. I am going to make that a reveal where she says, no, I really am his sister. And uh, she tries to murder uh, Edith by pushing her off the, uh, the the railing, right? And what's truly maddening about this is how uh, cast-offish Del Toro treats it. To him, it's just a twist to be had. But nowhere, and this is 2015, mind you, so the taboo of incest, while still around, if it's going to be examined in an interesting way. Del Toro fails to do it. Nowhere does he examine the clear psychological trauma that Hiddleston Sharp had to go through. It's mentioned that the abuse started when he was 12 and his sister was 14. He was clearly abused, and this was not a consensual 
relationship the way we see it in something like Flowers in the Attic. I mean, it wasn't a full-on rape in the way it was in The Monk, but this was still a a power dynamic that he had no control over. And Del Toro... Uh, does he completely ignores it in a way he uses this as a justification for Hiddleston's bad behavior you know this oh well he's mentally ill and how often do we have to see this like trauma causing mental illness causing people to do bad things it's tired it's played out it's not really supported in the scientific record and for a intelligent director like del toro to do this and to do it so flippantly it's frankly, it's it's shameful. Really, it's shameful. You know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and pretend that incest in 2015 is interesting if you're going to treat it this way. If you want to talk about how it's actually real abuse and how this people actually suffer from this, all right, Del Toro, he has the chops to do it. Chooses not to do it here, and it's terrible. And what actually is sharp salvation? Del Toro. I, I think we get the point. All right. Okay. Well, my point, if I just, I just want to put a button on it. What brings Hiddleston sharp around is he has salubrious sex with Edith, which is a very antiquated notion, which is a borderline chauvinist really coming. And again, coming from Del Toro, it's shocking. It's shameful. And it really, the whole movie suffers for it. Your honor, make him tell us what salubrious means. <laughs> yes, please do. Cause I have no idea. Salubrious means, um, healthy so uh del toro what? has no he has like, very healthy then <laughs> yeah healthy. you and your college words yes exactly well <laughs> you have to realize that in a lot of del toro's movies he views lovemaking as some kind of uh panacea and a panacea is something that cures everything uh we saw it in the shape of water we see it in Hellboy, he doesn't have as confused an understanding as, of sex as someone like Verhoeven does that we've talked about in this courtroom before. Uh, but he does he does see it as having some strange uh, curative property. And he used what he knew when describing the Sharps relationship to Edith. And it falls very flat and it undermines the real abuse and trauma that Sharp would have had to have gone through, which would have made for a much more interesting and compelling story. But instead, he, he he's cheap. He's cheap. He throws it out there just to kind of get people to go, oh, but, you know, we like I said in my opening, we need to demand better from someone like Del Toro because we know he's capable of it. He's not one to throw schlock out like this. And the fact that he did is just terrible. Uh, defense, would you yeah. care to respond to the 18 points that were in that argument? Right, for sure. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, let's just start with the uh, the predictability of the plot. Right. Well, I don't think predictability is ever the enemy. I think the storytelling, no, no matter what the story is, I, I think it's obnoxious that people expect all these twists now these days. I think it's important that the, it's the storytelling itself is more interesting. It's not the ending. It's the middle part, the, the journey. I think it's important that... And your your honor, I about the abuse and incest. Your honor, I have watched a lot of incest themed porn, and I can tell you <laughs> that. Put it on the record. That, oh God, I don't like that, where this is going. What up? That that is hot. But this case, <laughs> I knew it. But in you this thought case, I'd be trouble. I knew it. 
Uh, it's always the quiet ones, really. But, <laughs> but in this case, I think we're not giving enough credit to the Tom Sharp character. He, The love that he has known has been his sister. It's clear that there was a lot of abuse there. And what attracts him, what attracts him to Edith is that there is a different, safer love. And he sees that in her and he feels that in her. And that's why he, I think it's important to understand that his character was actively trying to fight against all that he had been taught and all that he had known. And the, to understand that this person, his sister, who he trusted, you know, you only accept the type of love you think you deserve. You only accept the type of love that you are aware exists in this world. But when the world gives you an Edith Cushing, someone who can love you in such a, in this new, safe, wonderful way, and for you to make the decision in that moment as your sister is running around screaming with a knife that you decide in that moment that you want to be a better person now that you have a better understanding of what that means. I think it's important to give him credit for that, that even at the end, he wanted to be better. And I don't think we give them enough credit for that. Um, and But my understanding is that his sister was the one who was mentally ill. The un, uh, What I understood was she, she would have been thrown in an institution had they been found out, and he would have most likely been hanged. That was yes, my that understanding. is my understanding as well. Uh, would you uh, care to, it, it was kind of tangentially mentioned in his argument, would you care to address the supposed cheapness of uh, Del Toro's approach to these supposedly delicate matters? The word cheap, I find, can be subjective, but also I, I think it's important to, I, I do I do go back to the, the whole idea of, yes, mental illness is something that is very romanticized nowadays but i don't i don't find at any point in the film that mental illness and abuse was ever romanticized that's why they they were just subjects of that and they were victims of circumstance and thus with what they were given they were just trying to survive and they had each other and they lived in the middle of fucking nowhere, as was shown. <laughs> and when you're, it's just in you. In bloody snowland. And when it's just you and your hot sibling in the snow. <laughs> and, you know, it's like. Oh, I know. I've, se- I've seen yeah. that one. Oh, I know. <laughs> you, you, you do. You do the best. I... You do the best with what you got. This uh, case is becoming very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, prosecution, do you have any further arguments? No, I'm just about ready to wrap it up, Your Honor. I would just like to say there's just a lot of other little things that are worth nitpicking real quick. The dog uh, made no sense. Uh, Hiddleston being an inventor making toys. I mean, there's a lot of interesting little threads that I feel were never pulled because Del Toro just kept it flat. He kept it simple. He kept it very un-Del Toro. And I will rest my case on that. All right. Uh, Defense, do you have any uh, further arguments that have not been addressed that you would like to express at this time? Yeah, the dog was clearly there to show the audience who would have been paying attention that the there was a previous person there that was 
why the dog. Uh, objection. The ghost of the previous person showed that there was a previous person. <laughs> <laughs> Overruled. I think it's fair. Okay. Well, the dog existed so that everyone could see it and just and not just the person who was sensitive to ghosts. Because then that proves as a vice a problem for the the sharks because they see that there is still evidence that needs to be hidden that the the late Enola resided there previously. Well, of course they knew the evidence was hidden. They left her luggage in the basement. Apparently they gave her access to uh, the the wax recording machine that she was able to hide. <laughs> I mean, they did not do a very good job of covering up this crime, which would have been priority numero uno, I would suspect. They did leave an inordinate amount of breadcrumbs. Sure, but she was supposed to die quickly. They put poison in everything she ate. The, I, the assumption there was that she'd have nowhere to go, that she would drink the tea, and that would be, she'd sign the papers, and that would be that. All right. Uh, do you have any further on? And then they stabbed themselves before she actually died of drinking the tea. Look, life is tough, you know? Is that a I, scream joke? It, well, I think it <laughs> fell too flat to be called a joke, but yes. <laughs> I got Ben. I like I like your joke about the joke, the meta joke. <laughs> uh, would the defense care to elaborate on the visuals of the film? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I thought the visuals were absolutely stunning. As I said earlier, I love the design of the ghosts. I love the the costume design. I love the use of color. Once again, the the yellow in her dress and in rooms where only where it was only safe. I thought that was very cool and important because typically horror films like to use, when they use opposing colors, they'll use a teal and orange or or blue and yellow. And this case was red and green. And I thought that was something very cool and different. And uh, the there's a, a large amount of visual metaphors in terms of the butterflies and the moths and yeah. uh, would you care to uh, discuss this? Because this has been kind of the subject of a lot of controversy in terms of being overwrought or not. The, I guess that would be considered the powder of Guillermo del Toro in that, is that what that we'd be referring to? Like the moths and the butterflies? In that the there are, well, there are mm-hmm. butterflies in the house. There are butterflies mm-hmm. in the wallpaper, uh, Mia Vakowska's uh, outfit resembles a butterfly at times. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Chastain is designed to look like a moth. There are moths in her room. It's it's a visual motif that then becomes uh, a literal motif. I had nothing specific to say on that. I just thought that was a very interesting choice. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, both prosecution and defense. Uh, any... Uh, Thoughts on the performances of the film? Absolutely dreadful, Your Honor. I would expect better from <laughs> the I man who brought us Loki. I, I would expect I would expect better from discount brand Gwyneth Paltrow. No, I wouldn't expect better, actually. This is about exactly what I'd expect from her. So there you have it. Uh, defense? Why did I fucking do that? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I think what's so wonderful about... I'll go to Tom Hiddleston first, since we're talking about Loki. I I think what's so wonderful about him is that you can hear 
Tom Hiddleston doesn't, in this specific film, doesn't need to talk for you to hear all his thoughts and what he's thinking. And I think that's a, that is not an easy thing to do for, for an actor. And I loved that about him. I loved seeing the fight in his, with, with his own character, deciding, trying to figure out, can I change? Is this safe? Will, if I jump, will I see the safety net? Um, so I thought that was very wonderful from him. For Mia, I, I, I love her sensitivity. I love the strength in her sensitivity in her performance. I thought that was wonderful. Jessica Chastain, she makes some very fun choices, I thought, with what she was given. And I, 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 I thought it was truthful. It, whether Whatever your thoughts are on how the material uh, how her character was treated written in this film i thought it was very lovely how she you know she could you could see all the hurt you could see the past in how she held herself upright she had to be strong life had to make her she had to be strong life made her strong and she just needed to be in control and i saw i saw that in her i saw the fight so there you go and i would like to say charlie hunnam is not a convincing Doctor slash detective. <laughs> I mean, what he's coming out there. First of all, he actually has an English accent in real life, so he could have actually even done the Hiddleston row. Actually, this whole movie could have just taken place in England, to be honest. But it, he comes out of from America to go save Edith and ends up getting stabbed for his trouble, but at least he does end up saving the day. I mean, it's just so predictable and having Edith having to choose between handsome doctor, handsome nobleman. It's a love triangle that's worthy of Pearl Harbor. It was, it, it <laughs> I just have a was, question though, prosecution, does he save the day or does he, does she save him? Well, he shows up and prevents her from being poisoned further. Then eventually, yes, he does get stabbed for his troubles. And then, Edith is strong enough to fight off Jessica Chastain, something, again, that 5'11 Jim Beaver was not even capable of doing. So, <laughs> bravo, Edith. Bravo. <laughs> okay. Both the prosecution and defense have rested their cases. The attorneys will now present their closing arguments. Prosecution, you may begin. Thank you, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen in the court today, what I really want you to take away from this case is that Guillermo del Toro is a man who has tremendous gifts. We have seen these gifts in The Devil's Backbone. We have seen them in Pan's Labyrinth. My goodness, we've even seen them in Mimic, his American debut. We do not... <laughs> debut. <laughs> we do not see them in Crimson Peak. We get a remarkably shallow, paper-thin plot, a very, very superficial understanding of what it means to exist in a gothic world. And it is sad, it is depressing, and it is bad. We need to say to Del Toro, we know you are better than this. You can do so much 
better. This is weak tea. I'll just end with a quote from one of Del Toro's better movies. Oh, brother. What is a ghost? A tragedy doomed to repeat itself. An instant of pain, perhaps. Something dead, which still seems to be alive. An emotion suspended in time, like a blurry photograph, like an insect trapped in amber. Mr. Del Toro, do not be that ghost. Do better. Do not make another bad movie like Crimson <laughs> Thank you. Strange that you plagiarized the guy you were criticizing, but okay. Because Defense. it was from a better movie. <laughs> Defense, you may present your closing argument. Your Honor, what I love about Guillermo del Toro is he always tries something new. That's what's so wonderful about him. He's a man who tries all these different wonderful things, and he has an artist's heart, an artist's sensitivity. And what I want everybody here today to take away from this is that not everything has to be overly fucking complicated with a million different fucking twists and turns. Maybe we can just be in a goddamn movie and watch a beautiful fucking film with good fucking actors and enjoy the simplicity in a good predictable, which is not the enemy. You're just being pretentious. In yes! Get to fucking pick at your brain, which you think is just so full of knowledge and is so deep. So <laughs> let me tell you this. Shut up. Enjoy. Find the joy in your fucking life. Enjoy your popcorn and watch a simple gothic horror fucking movie. <laughs> I won't be doing any of that. As well, if it, give her the $10,000. <laughs> oh, well put. Thank you both. Thank you. Members of the jury, Mr. Haslar, Mr. Maynard, Mr. Chain Ratlin, Ryan Rodriguez. You've all heard the facts concerning this case. It is now up to you to determine if this film is guilty of being a bad movie. The bailiff will escort you into the deliberation room to render your verdict. It's right there behind the crimson door. Ooh. <laughs> Fancy. Spooky. All right, guys. This this was a, a great one. It was it was kind of a quick trial. Um, probably because there wasn't as much to say about the story in this one. Um, mm. Pretty cut and dry. It it is, but yeah. um, I really appreciated the defense's, especially her closing arguments about predictability is not the enemy. Um, that that uh, Dylan is the enemy. And I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, we all know Sentiment. this. Yeah, exactly. And I just love that on. someone. Exactly. I love that someone t- finally just told him to shut up. Um, so big points uh, for, on that one. Um, and uh, but I, but that's to me, that's if you're going to the only thing to attack this film on is that there are no twists. Right. It is linear. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, uh the jab was taken to me. I thought they were married the whole time. Like, oh, it's not really a sister. They're married. Um, you know, and even so, so, I mean, that's like it still fits in. It's like still along with those gothic tropes that you've sort of that most people are familiar with. And I gotta say, I might actually prefer that to the truth. That yeah, I thought that they were like too, honestly. I'm, I thought they I'm were really married. That shit. Yeah, I thought they were a married couple who was conning rich people out of money so he could invent his things. Um, 
you know, and it was said that he was an inventor for no reason, and it, and it wasn't. That was the one of the that was their impetus for conning people out of money, is so he could continue to try to invent his shit. Um, Artists, <laughs> yeah, but it did kind of um, it make it it made his character a little more sincere, which I kind of appreciated, and that mm-hmm. that's kind of how Hiddleston played it from the very beginning. He played it as a guy with kind of he's clearly a little insecure, but he has he has integrity to what he's actually trying to pursue. And there's kind of that, there's an earnestness to Hiddleston. Usually whenever he performs, even when he plays like Loki, there is, he's, he sincerely believes in what he's doing whenever he's doing something. It's the way he just looks at other people interacting with him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it has that look in his eyes. There's, there's an empathy in his eyes that if he's in a scene with somebody else and that other person looks at him, it's kind of like, well, I guess I can see why they would, they would understand him in that moment. And I think he raises the quality of almost everything he's in too. Like even Kong yeah. Skull Island, which I think is pretty great, but Hiddleston is really great in it. And I yes. think it elevates that whole film. Hiddleston um, is the plus one. I agree. I <laughs> yeah, mean, like, yeah. I think Brie Larson was the kind of the key to that, but I do agree that he's fantastic. Brie Larson's wonderful in that. I mean, John Goodman's in it. Let's just talk about yeah. Kong Skull Island for a while. All right, let's not. I like um, the design but... of the, the creatures, too. I thought the designs were really cool of the, the monsters. They yeah. are great in Kong Skull Island. Bailiff, get this lawyer out of our deliberation. <laughs> <laughs> we were promised a sandwich. Oh, remember, the, the remember when he wraps up the uh, the engine in his pit in his fist, and then he punches the the dinosaur in the face? That was so great. In Crimson Peak? Oh, it's Kong Skull Island still. All right, that's enough Kong Skull Island talk. Okay, I'm sorry I brought it up. Um, uh, so, so back to to the Crimson Peak. So, um, yeah. so the performances though, to me, in this is everybody's on point. Um, like everybody, even Yeah, I thought she was good. What uh, what what problems did you have with her, Ben? I don't know. She seems sort of sleepy throughout the whole thing. Uh, I, I love. She was Jim being poisoned, you asshole. Jim Chastain is great, and Tom Hiddleston, of course, over there. Beaver is great. I do want to say the prosecution knocks it out of the park. Absolutely no chance. Jessica Chastain could bash his head against the sink without without taking him at a running surprise like the fact that he looks back sees her gets an eye wide eyes wide surprise and then she's able to bash his head against a sink there's like not a chance you're not allowed in here Zero dark 30 <laughs> proves that she gets shit done she i mean it's just it's just out of people even a strong man may not be able to do that because you would stiffen your neck and not move your neck at all, we need to get Jim know. Beaver in here to do some recreations before we decide if this is a guilty movie. I find movie. it very sexist that you don't think I could take you all. Oh, I do. We didn't say you. We said Jessica Chastain. <laughs> I one thousand agree. We didn't say us. We said Jim Beaver. <laughs> I would let you bash me into a sink, though. Um, but uh, and then the music in this is beautiful. Visually, everything is wonderful. One thing everything we didn't hear about. Is is like the Crimson Peak is gets its name um, because it's it's like a red clay mine, um, like the house is built on top of like a red clay deposit, um, and it comes up during the winter, especially when it snows. It like rises up and turns all the snow red. And Jedi totally ripped off that visual. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe, but that's it's that beautiful visual of like when they take footprints. There's red blood, and there's there's another post sort of touch in there. Of like, uh, kind of, um, 
uh, uh, I guess it's not quite the telltale heart entirely, but it's like there's something beneath the ground giving away their murders, right? Like the, the, the ground is soaked in blood and, and, and the ground here is kind of giving it away with every footstep. So visually, it's beautiful. Um, the more I think about it, it's more of a character piece, too, <laughs> than it is really a, 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 a an A to B storyline. What do you think of that, Ryan? Uh, well, I mean, it, in terms of like, I, I look at it as kind of like it has an, an impeccable aesthetic sense. It's a vividly realized world, probably the best looking Del Toro movie, like by a wide margin. But in terms of I the agree. characters, I don't care about any of these characters, like at all. Oh, or the story. I, oh. That's my biggest ag- problem. Really? I can't agree with that because like. I, I do think all of Del Toro stuff is beautiful. I mean, Hellboy 2 even is gorgeous, everything. But this visually is a masterpiece. I can't even say it's his because he's so good at it, but it is visually a masterpiece. It, everything's gorgeous. The costumes are gorgeous. If there was a forgettable main character, to me, it's um, it's our dear heroine, uh, what, what, Wasikowski, what's, what's her name? Wasikowska. Yeah, that's the one. Mia Wasikowska. Did you like her, Ben? No, and she was the one who I thought was just kind of there, like everyone around her. You was think she's sleepy? Okay, well, I how about Chastain like then? Her. Jessica Chastain was good because she was like sort of playing with her food a little bit. You know, she sort of had that slyness yeah. to her and very. Uh, really, I like everybody except her, and I don't hate her, mm-hmm. but I don't care about her. And she's because she's the lead. I she's the one I need to care about the most. I mean, I think it's almost by the end you care about Hiddleston quite a bit like he's not supposed to he's he's seems like he's the charming prince and then he's actually the deep villain and then in the end you're like oh he's the victim and so when the prosecution said that there was no touch on this abuse i think i don't buy that i think you have some empathy for him in the end certainly the main heroine has empathy for him in the end even though he tried to kill her and you're kind of like he tried to kill you girl he's a tragic man in the end (laughs) Men, it's, men be like that sometimes. Um, uh, when so, Jessica Chastain sees a ghost for the first time, it's him, and that's yeah, like, that's really the only like emotional beat that I actually kind of look at and go, okay, I could, I could buy that. Well, their ghosts were so kind of different to me. Like their ghosts, like Hiddleston and Chastain, they were kind of like the Lord of the Rings Mordor ghosts, like the the mm-hmm. the the ghosts under the mountain. But the other ghosts to me seemed more like they were dementors, right? They were like dripping with uh, like plasma or, you know, they're either like, right? It's like they're decomposing in the afterlife. Yeah, they're like blood red or they're like raven dark and they're decaying. They're drippy. What's that? What's the ghost stuff, Ryan, that comes off the ghosts? Ectoplasm. Ectoplasm. Yeah, they've got like ectoplasm kind of wisping off of them that's it they're wispy and they're really great but they are not they're not the centerpiece of this right it's not no. like and that's kind of where i was said earlier because that's well, how it was marketed was this is a oh, ghost maybe story. maybe but bad I don't marketing hold that against the film i well, never hold well, yeah, I into a gothic romance film feel like just seeing that all of a sudden but there are like, certain expectations when you go into a del toro movie that he's like, I'm going to make a horror movie. It's about a spooky house. And I'm like, yes. Okay. Tell me more. All right. It's about a super spooky house. I'm listening. Real okay, mean, baby. What do you got? There's ghosts in it. Okay. I got it. There's okay. a lady. She's haunted by ghosts. There's two people in Ooh. there. They're, they're, they got, okay. What else? 
Uh, there's also like uh, some love and stuff, and I don't know. Bye. It's incestual. It. Well, <laughs> I, the defense wrapped it up very well earlier when she said that um, it's uh, it's a movie with ghosts in it, not a ghost movie. And I think that was a quote from someone, yes. perhaps, maybe. But, no, that is um, yes, that's an accurate way of describing it. That's how I I saw it too. It's like Hamlet is not a ghost story. It's a story with a ghost in it, and these ghosts are very Hamlet like, right? Where they're like coming in and giving warnings mm-hmm. about something to come. Vague, um, warnings. incomplete warnings. Get out of here, prosecutor. You're not allowed in the deliberation room. <laughs> the defense is in but here. The defense the is She's cool, <laughs> though. She's cool. She's allowed to chill with us in the deliberation room. The, the magic eight balls of warning ghosts. Hey, like, you know, try again later. I don't know. Well, See you later. Bye. Maybe it's a rule of ghosts that they can't be very explicit in their warnings to you. Maybe they have to be cryptic. Oh, that's a it's like, rule. oh, like, well, I didn't make it up. God did. It's like playing like taboo. And like that well, that doesn't make them like the ghost in Hamlet then. Prosecutor, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that doesn't make them like the ghost in Hamlet then. <laughs> <laughs> By the um, transitive property, the ghosts in Crimson Peak are the ghosts in Hamlet. There we go. We saw. I mean, a, that's how I saw them. Is is you know these are murder victims who are 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 telling you about their murder. So there's a little sixth sense in there. I don't want to reductio ad shamal on this, but right where the ghosts are like they're coming to you because not only they want to warn you, but they want to be avenged. They want you to fuck up the Sharp Twins, uh, and and. Get them to stop murdering people because the house is getting crowded, full of ghosts. <laughs> uh, ben, what what do you think was the best part of this movie? Oh, the visuals, hand down. Uh, it's mm. not even close. That is one hundred percent the best thing. Ryan, uh, yeah, I mean, if if I had to, if I had to take a case study to prove to people that digital photography can look as impressive as film to the point of like a case by case comparison i would show this movie it is astounding that a film could look this good on a format this new it is it is a technical marvel and listening to the commentary del toro is describing it as this is like one of the third this is like the third best movie that i've made and i'm like no dude this is totally the top this is as good as you're going to get probably ever this is just just retire Go to a beach in Venezuela and just like retire, just completely put your feet up. You've reached the peak. But then we this wouldn't is, get another non guilty. He peak. reached the crimson peak. Yes, yes. he reached the crimson peak. This is it. <laughs> Count your money. Did, you're done. Did uh did uh, did you guys Ryan? Did you see this one in theaters? I had. Yes, I did. You did. Okay, Ben. Yeah, I did as well. See, this, I didn't hear about this when I first came out. This I never heard of, of this until I saw every Del Toro movie in the theater. I never heard of this until the defense asked me to see it for this case. So I, I saw it for the first time for this case. And I'm like, Del Toro? Pff, why why are we doing another Del Toro movie is the first thing. I was like, this guy always gets off. Um, but uh, um, but uh, the plot, I think, with this predictability, I, do we agree that's probably the weakness of the film? Yes. As yep. the, the characters being uh, relatively minor and the plot being relatively tepid and repetitive are the only things that are yeah, repetitive. those yeah. are the things that make me say this is not something that i would call a great movie but they are not enough to make me say this is not a, a movie of worth big ben i'd like to hear from you what is your verdict 
Um, I, I I agree. Like that that's the weak thing is the story. That's really my own complaint because it is well directed. It is well acted. It has strong visuals. It has an interesting premise and tons of atmosphere and Jim Beaver. Um, that is true. So I'm going not guilty, but I agree it's not a great movie. I, I do wish the story just had a little bit more of that oomph to it. Uh, that really made me care about uh, the main particularly. Um, and to an extent, Hiddleston and Chastain's characters. Uh, Rockin' Ryan Rodriguez. Oh, this is a not guilty for me. Yeah. Okay. You want to elaborate on that, though? <laughs> Didn't I just do that? Fine, fuck you then. Uh, (laughs) So I'm also going to go not guilty because while I did think it was predictable, um, I didn't mind just kind of sitting back and letting the atmosphere take me away and not need to worry about twists as much. Um, It's a creepy movie. It's really cool and it's, to me, very well performed. Um, And I did like the characters a bit more than you, maybe most of the two sharps. um, I thought were pretty great. Um, So yeah, we... We got our verdict, so let's get out there and uh, deliver it to that very handsome judge. Damn right. (laughs) Mr. Foreman, have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. In the case of The People versus Crimson Peak, we find the accused not guilty of being a bad movie. (laughs) The verdict is so rendered. Crimson Peak is free to go under the condition that it ease off on the butterfly and moth symbolism. Court is adjourned. This is Ben Wallace of Ben News reporting to you live from Reels of Justice. Miss Carranza, <laughs> would you care to share your thoughts on the jury's verdict? Miss Carranza, are you there, please? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Leave that in. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. President, Mr. President, please stop interrupting. <laughs> Sorry, you're saying my last name like really American y. Um, yeah. <laughs> Carranza. Carranza. Miss Carranza, your thoughts on the verdict, please. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm very pleased that we came to the right decision, the right conclusion. I think it's important to, you know, take off your fedora, put on your top hat, and just enjoy the movie for what it is. You know, it's it's a beautiful movie. It's a lovely, simple experience. And I think everyone in 2020 should be watching this right now. We don't need all these overly complicated plots to satisfy these obnoxious people who think they're so smart that they should be constantly fed all these twists and turns and um you know what can i say it's a uh, uh you know you, you go into these courtrooms and uh you got to deal with these bitches who think they're smart and you know but you know but in the in the end in the end uh, you know it all worked out and uh for the better you know gimbal de is the man yeah Thank you. And speak of the devil, he shall appear. Here comes Mr. Slender. Excuse me, could we get a word on how you feel about today's verdict? Well, last night, I didn't want to say it in court, but I was visited by a ghost, the ghost of my grandfather, and he showed me a vision of a mighty bull goring me. I now realize that bull was del Toro, and this man (laughs) will never be found guilty in this court. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. That's all we have from the courthouse today. Let's go back to the studio for a post-trial analysis. Well, that was a fun one. All right. I loved when we were mean to Dylan. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> my perfect. Favorite part. It's going to be my ringtone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, Savannah, thank you for introducing me to this movie. I guess everyone else had seen it. I hadn't. No, I hadn't. Yeah. I had not, actually. We watched it um, together for the first time, you and me, Mayor. We did. Um, um, and, yeah, I really liked it. And I'm, I'm glad that the trial uh, went the way it did. Um you know, I, I do think it's a it's a bit predictable of a movie, but um, I don't know. Some That's a little refreshing in some ways. You don't like having your like writing a, a flow chart of the plot anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in a way, it, it wasn't predictable to me. Right. Because I thought they were married. That's true. <laughs> it was, predict- it was unpredictable the- in that I didn't predict it was predictable. <laughs> I took the shots at you there. Uh, and here's the thing. I didn't really actually hate this. movie. I mean, Del Toro's fan. I love everything del toro does you know so when i went into this case i just really wanted to say like he basically it is pretty superficial for a del toro movie but this is the same guy that did pacific rim you know what i mean so i'm glad no one brought that up for me talking about uh his superficialness you know i just think when del toro does do horror when he does do ghosts we do see movies like devil's backbone mm-hmm. and pan's labyrinth which are like have a tremendous amount of depth and i think that the lack of depth in this movie was surprising and so that was the angle i went for sure yeah but such a gorgeous movie and i think oh, we very beautiful very i think beautiful. we nailed it right too and we were like i think del toro just wanted to direct some people in frilly dresses that's what i said i said he just wanted everyone to dress up nice <laughs> so i remember me saying it and you were there but uh let's not sure. split hairs uh, <laughs> uh, so Silvana, what is keeping you busy? What have, what have you been doing lately, uh, with, uh, with yeah. all these unprecedented times? You guys, I'm on target.com. You can find me there. I'm in, I'm dressed as a toy soldier for the FAO Schwartz section of target.com. So check out all the commercials I'm doing for all the different products there. That is my most recent acting gig. And, Very uh, cool. FAO Schwartz is pretty cool. Yeah, that's sweet. I know you you worked inside of FAO Schwartz to the old location in New York. Yep, sure did. Been working in the toy business for about ten years now, so that's crazy. <laughs> Exciting. But, I used to be a part of a past life of my own. Yeah, it's true. Um, and uh, and what else you got going on? Uh, Other than that, I've just been doing some voice acting stuff whenever I can. You know, there's always a friend with a podcast to be doing stuff for. Um, There are many podcasts, but this is ours. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yes, for everyone listening, and I think we said it before, you can hear Silvana's voice at the beginning and end of this show. Yeah. And if you're looking for a great voice acting talent, here she is. You can hire her. Yes, find me on voice one, two, three dot com slash Silvana Carranza. That's S I L V A N A C A R R A N Z A. Silvana Carranza. Carranza, not the way Ben said it before. All American. That was Ben Wallace. That wasn't me. Those are my oh, favorite yeah. parts of the show because I'm not a different in them. Person. <laughs> Carranza. 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 Um, and uh, can you tell us any of the voice acting stuff you've been doing? Or is it all top secret right now? It's top secret right now, but very yeah. good. Then we will be looking forward to when it does release. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to share it out for our listeners. 
um, when it does drop. Uh, now, we like to ask our guests, too, for a recommendation of uh, a movie that you think people should see. Uh, and since it's Halloween, uh, then we're, we're hoping to get some horror movies or a spooky movie or something Halloween themed. So uh, what movie do you think people should see? I think people should check out uh, Under the Skin from 2013, starring, starring Scarlett Johansson, directed by mm-hmm. Jonathan Glazer. Um, it is the closest thing we have to a modern day Kubrick. And I mean that. So check it out. Oh, very. What, what did you like about it? Um, oh, everything. I love aliens. And I love that it did something <laughs> new with aliens. Um, I've been described as an alien in school um, for so long. So it was, it was nice to see. To your front even? Wow. <laughs> it was nice to see a representation. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a very early, this is a very early Scarlett Johansson. This is, um, mm-hmm. I, I love the soundtrack, the choices they make for how, I don't want to give too much away, but how she uh, she uh, obtains Absorbs. the yeah the the human meats. Whoa! It's Scarlett really Johansson cool. absorbing human meats. If it's that a doesn't trip. sell a movie, <laughs> but uh, yes, what will? I believe Ryan, that's an A twenty four joint, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I think it actually, yeah, yeah. yes, it is. Just put A twenty four on a movie. I'm going to watch it and probably enjoy it. Same. I haven't seen a bad one yet. Me neither. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Tusk. No, Tusk was amazing, remember? Oh, yeah, that's you know, right. No, no, it, no, it, it wasn't. Was this, month, <laughs> was this month, Ryan, you defended it. And you was are what yeah, convinced me. Yeah, I defended me. it hey, under duress. Did you perjure yourself in front of the court, Mr. Rogers? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to play on the next I, episode I, I of Reels it. of Justice, Ryan Rodriguez. No. <laughs> yes, anyway, Tusk, show. amazing movie, according show. to Ryan. This I love it. Show. Ryan, you get to go, you with the judge, and you get to tell us <laughs> what other movie is as good as Tusk. Uh, well, <laughs> many, so many, all movies. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to pick a, a spooky recommendation because there's so many good haunted house movies to sift through. There's The Haunting, The Old Dark House, yes. Beetlejuice, Poltergeist, The Changeling, and of course, The Haunted Mansion. But they're all amazing Those are films. all the ones but, I was going to do. But today, I'm <laughs> recommending The Haunted House movie to end all haunted house movies. One of the most interesting films I have ever seen, a Japanese picture from 1977 called House. Not the one with William Cat. This movie is insanely creative and insane in general. If the monkeys made a Japanese horror movie, it would be something like this. It is just balls deep crazy. I love it. It is streaming on the Criterion channel and HBO Max. If you know nothing about it right now, good. Stay that way. Watch it. It's fucking Uh, awesome. Do you mean monkeys the band or the primate? The band. Oh, that makes much more sense. Okay. Although if the primate were doing it, that would also be a Yes, that's crazy, right? That is not that's Jaws. <laughs> that's like the now, most opposite of Jaws. How do you see Jaws and go, I'm going to make that, and then it ends up house? How the hell does that happen? That's so good. Oh. That's drugs, baby. And Ryan, oh, I, I notice you're stepping drugs. on Ben's toes with the J horror. Oh, that's good. Cool. I got yeah, another one. I am. I'm sorry, Ben. <laughs> no, everybody <laughs> should see more J horror. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Uh, uh, ben, what is your J horror recommendation for us this week? 
All right. Well, to close up my J-Horror recommendations, I'm going to recommend my favorite J-Horror ghost movie, which is Ringu, which a lot of people have an idea about what it is because of the American remake. Uh, but I still say the original is worth watching uh, to compare. There are a lot of really fun differences to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, these movies go a bit beyond the typical ghost story with the prevalence of psychic ability. And it's uh, having fun doing a modern and by modern, I mean the 90s take on an iconic uh, black-haired Japanese ghost. So check it out. It's on Shudder. Uh, I'm going to be watching it this month. Um, nice. May I say something about that movie, too, that I thought was really cool that'll help me enjoy it even more? Um, in old Japanese folklore, there is a story. The, the, the significance of the very long black hair um, without giving too much away if anyone hasn't seen it yet. Um, there is a, an old tale in Japanese folklore of a man who thinks he's going to bed with his wife, not realizing that she's already dead. And when he wakes up, she is just hair, really long black hair, and she begins chasing him around the house. And as she's chasing him around the house, he is rapidly aging. And it's just a very cool visual from old Japanese folklore. And that's where that long black hair is a really cool thing in Ringo. Yeah. Yeah. I believe (laughs) that, um, that that has a segment in, uh, Toho's Quaidon. Uh, if you've seen, uh, I think Quaidon, help me out here, Ben. It's Quaidon. Is that a part of the Am I thinking that wrong? Uh, there might be something in there in about the grudge, but I know that that's definitely a whole segment in quite, quite on. It's, it's sort of steeped um, into oh their, gosh. uh, their literature yeah. that way. Like their old, uh, creepy or odd tales. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Ichi- and it's not an official. Was it the earless? What's his name? Oichi? The ear- Oichi the earless. Yeah. That was fantastic. That is the best segment in that movie. Oh my gosh. That is also my second recommendation. Go see quite on. <laughs> Yeah, I was oh. going to say Quaidon is an unofficial recommendation for me too. If you're looking for a, a great spooky ghost movie, I yeah, like that's the. Not fair. I like you the, said I can't have two recommendations. What the hell's going I on? I said here? you Everybody can't have two recommendations. <laughs> you can't. Bullshit. Oh, yeah. I can have all the all of the recommendations I want more that I recommendations, want. Recommendations, goddammit. <laughs> if we gave you unlimited recommendations, we'd be here all night. Listen, we recommend. Point. That's actually the thousand a movies you've seen. Recommendation. <laughs> And Ugetsu. That's another one. Watch Ugetsu. Ugetsu. Oh, Ugetsu. Yeah. Now, three Fantastic. recommendations. The hell's going on here? This is not- <laughs> I do love the Hoichi the earless. Yeah, Ryan I like the storming out here in a minute. I love it. I like the first one in Quaidon too, with the the frozen ghost, right? Where the haunting, the old dark house, Beetlejuice. You recommended Holder these. Dice, the changeling. <laughs> I recommend all of them. The They're haunting all- is oh great. The, I love the haunting all. is the haunting is one of my favorite ghost movies because you never get to see the ghost. Mm-hmm. That is true. And so I really, these are unofficial recommendations at this point um, (laughs) where we're just chit chatting. Hey, and actual Ben, what was the name of the the movie where the ring Ringu ghost fights like the grudge ghost? Uh, You would ask me that when I wouldn't know off the tip of my tongue. When you, it's like Samara, Samara versus it's like Juwan, right? Or something. No, I don't think the ghost is named, not named Juwan. Oh, hold on. I can find it. It could be. Anyway, apparently yeah. there's a movie where like the the ring ghost fights the grudge ghost. They change up the weird, rules, like though. I mean, like the the tape kills you after two days instead of seven, just to make the plot work. <laughs> that sort of thing. Just <laughs> <laughs> That's like I'm Freddy just, versus uh, Jason. 
Yeah, I was about to say it sounds like a it's like a Japanese Freddy versus Jason, and I kind of want to watch that. that. After that, have you guys um, watched all the Jason movies? We have, no. absolutely, and we can say that uh, Jason Takes Manhattan is the best one. Oh fuck um, that! <laughs> Not the one where he goes to space. Jason uh, X is is a masterpiece, and I'll I stand by that. X. I haven't seen yeah. it. I oh, love Jason X. Ryan, he beats. I mean, they steal it from another movie, but he he beats one camper to death with another camper in a sleeping bag. Well, it's, I know it's from right. another movie. The girl's head in the the liquid nitrogen, and then that is it. great too. That's and all smashes I know. It. And that David Cronenberg. And then he gets covered in nano machines. See Jason X as well. We're running yeah. all of our well, recommendations. I bought the box set, so I'll be watching it. It's the last one of the month, right? So we got to get them all out. These are all the ones you got to get them all out. You got to get them all out. And Sadako versus Kayako is that movie, by the way. Psycho versus Sadako versus Kayako. Sadako. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the Grudge versus Ring movie. Um, oh, Dylan, what is your one and only recommendation? Yeah, no, forget <laughs> that. I'm doing two now as well. So Bastard. my first one is Monster Squad, which is just a f- great yeah. movie that has like those old Universal monsters all come to a town, and the kids have to like goony it up to try to like fight them. It's the werewolf, the the creature from the back, Black Lagoon. I uh, think Frank it's a Wolfman. Yeah, it's no, a wolf it's man. Right. and he's got Nards. The, wolf, yeah. the Wolfman has Nards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a fantastic movie with all the monsters. But my real recommendation, uh, back in the episode we did with Frank Carnuff and uh, Chase Bellew, I recommended uh, Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island, and one of our super fans, Jay Turner, uh, that's too obvious. Jennifer T said Perfect. that you should also watch it with <laughs> Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. And you know what, Jennifer? This one's for you because you, you're absolutely right. Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, 1999. Absolutely fantastic. A great way to end your Halloween night. I stand by Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost being the best Scooby-Doo movie because it has the Hex Girls. Heck yeah. And I the mean, Hex the Girls, Hex, yeah, are, girls awesome. are pretty sweet. They're fantastic. I'm gonna cast a spell on you. Yeah, I know all the words. Right, that's all you can do. We don't want to get sued. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get sued. Oh, I'm not gonna cast a spell on you. Those were the lyrics, right? Because oh. if you change one word, it's okay. Yeah, sing it. Weird Al made a whole career out of it. <laughs> and uh, and of course, uh, like, and the Hex Girls has Jane Weedland in it. Really? Right? Of, of now the I have girl, to watch this. Bogos? Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm totally watching yeah. this. I love her. Yeah. Yeah, no, Jane is is great. I love when she... She's my favorite part of the movie Clue. She's the singing telegram girl yes. who gets shot. That's right. Oh, she's, so she's she's really nice. wonderful. The Go-Go's um, are better than the Ramones, by the way. I had to say that. Oh, wow. <laughs> what if they combined into some super group? I wouldn't um, accept it. The Ramogos? The Ramogos. Uh, so I get I will limit myself to one recommendation <laughs> because I'm a man of science, uh, and I'm gonna recommend um, Stir of Echoes from 1999 uh, with Kevin Bacon because um, it's another movie that it is sort of a ghost movie, um, but it's also in a way just like a movie about ghosts or a movie with ghosts in it, right? Because the ghost is there to kind of give warnings and and then try to get the like the mystery behind the ghost's death song. He has song. the radio. Like he has the radio. radio. It's playing REM, oh, right? Okay. REM's version of Paint It Black, which is super cool. Oh, uh, and it's got Kevin Bacon. That is a good Directed by David Kep, who wrote Jurassic Park. Very, see, I knew I liked it for a reason. Now that's a I, I liked that movie. I mean, maybe because I'm just, I was a big Kevin Bacon fan. And the, the more degrees but... you get away from Kevin Bacon, the worse your film is. 
<laughs> I, I would agree with that. Um, but that's that's a fun movie, and I think they do like the hypnosis thing really cool, right? Using that big black theater on like the theater chair floating towards the screen. There um, is a jump scare involving a fingernail in that movie that I still think I have nightmares about. It's pretty I, fucked up. Oh, I could see bleak. that. Oh yeah, I oh to me that's more of like a body horror cringe thing. It's not really. Yeah, a I jump guess scare. I'm not describing it well, but, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it creeps the shit out of me. Yeah, it's like violence inflicted upon the body. But yes. yeah, uh-huh. Stir of Echoes, Kevin Bacon, 1999. Um, as our that's our last recommendation of, uh, last of Halloween. One. Wait, I have eight more. <laughs> 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 we'll just like um, uh, have it rolling during the credits or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly just ryan listing off every horror movie he'll He's have to wait till next year it, yes he will uh and uh with that uh you know we're we're all out of time Silvana, thank you so much for joining us and thank uh talking about this me. movie with us yeah we'd love yeah. to have you back uh sometime to do another movie if you're interested yeah yes we would thank you and uh and with that uh we are all out of show uh, but we hope you'll join us next time as the reels of justice keep turning. Count, Count it. it. <laughs> ben, I'm gonna send you to hell. Please follow us on Twitter at Reels of Justice, Instagram Reels of Justice, and Facebook.com slash Reels of Justice.